Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News preview show. Sunday evening, Paris Saint-Germain play Bayern Munich in the Champions League final. After several years of hurting in this competition, PSG this year knocked out Borussia Dortmund, Atalanta and RB Leipzig to make it to their first ever final. Facing them, Bayern are a historically more experimented club at this level. In the 1976 final, it was Bayern who beat Saint-Étienne 1-0 in Glasgow in one of the most legendary matches in French football history. This Sunday, PSG have their own chance of making history by bringing the big-eared cup back to France for only the second time. This weekend may mark the return of Ligue 1 football at last, and we'll touch on that a little bit as well, but all eyes are, of course, still set on Portugal. I am your host, Pierre-Paul Birmingham, for this preview show. Uh, we have a special guest on today as well, Julien Laurent. Hi, hi, Julien. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Always great to have you on. This is a, you will know Julien, of course, from ESPN, BT, RMC, and, and many more, to be honest. Uh, it, it's been a busy few days for you, Julien, hasn't it? Yeah, really, really busy. Uh, between Lyon and PSG um, and all the successes in the Champions League, it's been, it's been great. I think it's been great for Ligue 1 and we can finally... Um, Shush a few mouths, you know. I think that would, I really enjoy doing that, and then and then look forward to to this final because if you've gone all the way, whether you've been Lyon or PSG, I think you really want the Ligue 1 club to win it. So let's hope that the outcome on Sunday is good. But yeah, it's been it's been really busy, but good, you know, busy in a good way. So it's cool. Yeah, we're not complaining for sure, no. um, and we we definitely appreciate you finding time for us uh, as well, and and with your enthusiasm, oh, it's great yeah. too. <laughs> Uh, on board today as well, Eric Devin. Hey, Eric. Hi, Pierre-Paul. Uh, good morning to you, and looking forward to a good weekend of French football. It's, it's been too long. <laughs> well, good morning to you over in America. It's, it's afternoon for us, um, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Eric, your 60-page Ligue 1 preview uh, has been released by GFFN this morning. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the kind of information we can find in there. Yeah, so this is something um, that we do every year. It's the fourth year, I believe, I've been doing it. So it's got comprehensive squad lists, predicted 11s, strengths, weaknesses, uh, key players, uh, key signings, uh, just overall predictions for the entire league. Uh, and, every, and there's, oh my gosh, I think it ends up being somewhere in the neighborhood of 17,000 words. So it's it's as comprehensive as a document as I think you'll find out there in English. Um those of you who don't read French, uh, I think it's it's a good way to, to dive into the league and to also get an idea of what really makes the league on so special. You know, those young up and coming players. You know, last year we talked a lot about you know a player like Eduardo Camavinga, and mm-hmm. so I think that there's a lot to come this year. Um, we're seeing the emergence of, for example, Maxence Cacare at Lyon. You know, there's Adil Auchich who's looking very good at Saint Etienne. So that's the player we can keep an eye on. But that sort of you know, I don't want to say insider information, but that sort of uh, detailed look at the league to see where the next star might come from. I think this is something that's really important and what attracts so many people to French football. So uh, give that a download and and uh, get yourself ready for this weekend. Yep, it's free on the GFFN website, so do have a look. I, I took a glance this morning before we get started. And I'm super impressive, but only getting started, of course, because a lot of detail in there, of course. Uh, and finally with us too, Jeremy Smith. Hey, Jeremy. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. I don't have anything to promote at the moment, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, that's all right. I, I have a less serious question for you. As well. 
<laughs> I have a less serious question for you. Uh, what do you think is a greater threat to public order? Is it fans gathering in masses on the Champs-Élysées or is it walking through Marseille while wearing a PSG shirt? <laughs> I, saw, I saw that the, uh, yeah, the, the prohibition from doing that has been lifted this morning, but frankly, if anyone... If anyone wants to risk walking, walking along with you <laughs> in a PSG shirt, then then good luck to them. Yes, it's not because it's legal that it's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> if you're in Marseille, please be careful. <laughs> um, yes, right. So uh, why don't we get started and talk about this this huge match coming up on Sunday evening, PSG, Bayern Munich. Uh, Julien, why don't you kick us off and, and how do you think uh, the team morale is like in the PSG squad at, at this moment going into the game? Oh, it's fantastic. From, the, um, from what we, we're hearing from, from inside, is, and it should be really, when you qualify for the first final in, in your history, on your 50th anniversary as well, in the way they did it. I think for me, and I've, I've been saying, I wrote it for ESPN this week as well, is that togetherness that didn't exist before. Kylian Mbappé, I think, I thought spoke really well after the Leipzig semi-final when he said, Neymar and I realised that we could not do this on our own. This is impossible. You cannot win the Champions League with just, well, unless you're Messi, but even Messi on his own, as we've seen in the last five years, cannot do it. So Neymar and Mbappé, I think, had to realise that this team had to gain more unity, had to have more solidarity, more togetherness, um, and had to play as a proper team. So... I know it's, it's two games, Atalanta and, and Leipzig. You, I, I just don't think you need to beat big sides to show that you're a team. You, you can do it against anyone. It doesn't, doesn't matter who you play against. It's how you behave on and off the pitch. It's, 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 why, you, it's why you show, it's why you, you produce. And I think we've, we've seen that certainly in those two games, how this team is playing in a very different way than, than even earlier this season. So I think the morale is great, and so it should be. I think they're really focused. I think they certainly don't really feel, don't feel like the underdogs, and we can debate about who's favourite, who's not, what the percentage is, but they certainly don't feel like that. And again, I think when you're an APSG player, not named Neymar, and you've got Neymar in this kind of form in your team, let alone Kylian Mbappé as well and and, and, and Haldi Maria, when you have this kind of Neymar, I think you think that anything is possible. And I think they, they should be right to believe in themselves that they can win that final and, and lift that trophy. But just go there and approach that game with, with staying humble as well and not take it for granted because that's a recipe for disaster. So I think it looks good for what I'm hearing, but the only, the only truth would be in those 90 minutes, 120 minutes on Sunday night. Yeah, one of the big changes that you point out this year is, is like you say, Neymar and Mbappe and maybe other players too come to this realization that it, it has to be a team effort. What role do you think Thomas Tuchel has had in, in this kind of mentality change almost? I think he's been, he's been important, but, but not, not that key really. Uh, and it's interesting. Okay. It's not, it's not um, to underestimate his role. I think he's, you know, he, he has qualities he's, he's very clinical in the way he works he's I think his management at times has been an issue and we saw that with Mbappe against Montpellier uh, earlier in the season at the Parc des Princes but but for me this is I mean he's he's told the players this is what this 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 has this has to change in a way and that's that was the way forward for them to go and win five trophies this season for example this this was the only way 
But I think this has been led by the players. Again, I wrote for ESPN the, the lunch at uh, Marco Verratti's restaurant in, in February. It was a big mess. They lost to Dortmund. They drew with Amiens. They were slaughtered for the parties and everything. And, and, and I think the players had to take their own responsibility, which, which I think whatever level you play at, you have to do. But, but really, something had to change, something had to give. And, and I think during lockdown, well, well, let's not forget, Thomas Tuchel was really, really far in lockdown. He didn't have a daily contact with the squads. He was very, very much letting them do what they want. They all had a, a schedule and a program of what they had to do. But he was not involved at all in anything in lockdown compared to other managers who were, I don't know, for example, for what I know, Mikel Arteta, who was every day in relation with his players whether it was one-on-one, uh, Zoom calls collectively, etc. Thomas Tuchel didn't do any of that. So I really think that this realization, this, 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 okay, we, this is what we have to do now, this, this togetherness really came with Thomas Tuchel taking a, a step back, which maybe was the right thing to do. Maybe the players, maybe he worked better with the players that is the player themselves who did it. And he was not instrumentalized by the manager saying, okay, let's, let's do this and let's get all together. And I think, People like Herrera, people like Kellen Navas had a huge role to play and did so well in getting this team together, getting that unity, I think, more than Thomas Tuchel. Huh. That's, that's super interesting. I didn't know that about the, the lockdown because we've seen Tuchel being very close to his players quite often. Um, but yeah, that's a, an interesting point that you bring up there. Um, so do you guys think... Uh, let's talk a little bit about the lineup that PSG might be showing up with on Sunday evening. Uh, do we expect any changes compared to the starting eleven against Leipzig? For me, the, the only possible change is, is whether Verratti is ready to come in. I think the fact that he did the uh, press conference yesterday, a lot of people thought that might have been an indication that that maybe he's ready to start. Although the way he was speaking, I didn't, I didn't think he sounded convinced that he was entirely. <laughs> To, um, fit to, to play the full 90 minutes. Um, that's the only change that I can see. I thought um, against Atalanta, I still thought that the midfield didn't didn't look great, and and there was too much of a gap between kind of d- defense and attack. But I thought that completely changed against Leipzig. I thought Paredes was was fantastic. I thought he sort of lifted Herrera's game as well. Um, so I, I, I'd expect them to, to line up in the same way, unless unless Verratti can 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 prove that he's ready to ready to start the match. Is he worth starting if he's not at one hundred percent? I I would say no, because Bayern are obviously such a strong team and and so full of running that you want um, you know all your outfield players at, at full fitness. But at the same time, there has to be a temptation considering that that high line that Bayern plays. Verratti's kind of the the perfect perfect player to spot those passes, whether along the ground or sort of chipped over the defence for for the likes of Mbappe to run onto. So it's got to be tempting to to take the risk. But I think you've got to go with with um, your fully fit players. Um, yeah, that that's a good point about Bayern's high line. Uh, Eric, do you think? Because uh, the other question mark is also concerning Keylor Navas, who might be back. What did you think of Sergio Rico's performance against Leipzig? And, and would you risk putting a maybe not 100% Navas back in there? I, I think that, I mean, Rico is a, a player who's 
won the Europa League. He's vastly experienced with Sevilla. I don't think he's someone who's going to shy away from a big match. He kept a clean sheet. I don't think he had more than a save or two to make, really, against Leipzig. They were they were or a, a impressive save. Um, and I think that at this point in time, if Navas is at all a doubt, I, I think that I think that Tuchel needs to stick with Rico. I mean, he's it's not uh, you know Navas's form domestically this season was up and down, but again, you know this is you know this sort of matches what he was purchased for given his uh, number of Champions League titles with. Real Madrid, but at the same time, you know, Rico has plenty of experience too and is, is a capable backup. His loan was extended to this point in the season for a reason. And I think that it's um it's 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 it makes sense to keep him in, uh given given the situation. Um Julien, whether it's the same starting eleven or not, uh, you know, how do you think PSG can adapt? Or, or do they need to adapt to to face Bayern? Um, adapt in the sense of ch change their game. You mean? Well, yeah, either change their their formation, which remains a possibility, or you know, is it going to take anything different to, for example, face uh, Bayern's very uh, powerful attack, which which we'll get to as well. I think I think the four three three. Um, has to be has to be the system. I, I think there, there could be a temptation of bringing Icardi back simply because mm -hmm. a PSG front four like that could even more trouble the the, the Bayern defense. Hundred percent. So I think if you bring Icardi there, who could you know who could get even more uh, Alaban, I think Boateng or Zula busy, and then having almost Neymar. If you want as a free as a free player around him, if you we want to play him again more centrally, or, or even Kylian Mbappe as a second striker with Neymar on the left and Di Maria on the right, if you do that, Kimmich and, and Davis cannot go forward as much as they would do uh, against a four-three-three because because if you've got Icardi already there plus Neymar and plus Mbappe plus Di Maria, there's no way Davis and Kimmich can can go forward as much as they would normally do. So. Already, you take something out of Bayern's game if you go if you go with Icardi and that front four, which I think is interesting. The problem is that leaves you with only two midfields, and two mm. midfields, which would be two v two against Goretzka and Thiago or Kimmich and Goretzka, whoever if Pavard comes back at right back. The problem is then you've got is Müller. Is that Müller in that sort of number ten, number ten second striker role? Then we get far more freedom than if you play with three midfield with Marquinhos, pretty much keeping an eye all the time on on what Müller does. So I think I would keep the 4-3-3 with the possibility of always bringing on Icardi if you're behind in the game. Um, the thing that PSG have, which, for example, Barcelona don't have, is the variety in the attack, which means, like, like I think Jeremy was saying, you, can, you, could, you could exploit the high line by running in behind and playing, playing through balls and long balls over the top, for example, which would be perfect. Then you can play into Neymar's feet or Di Maria's feet and they would do something special. You're also very good on set pieces, which I think Bayern would be quite worried about. So you've got many ways of of, hit, of hitting them hard. Bernard could could certainly go and, and have a 2v1 with Neymar against Kimmich, for example, if Ignabry doesn't defend enough. With Kerrer on the other side, it's a bit more difficult, but, but again, not impossible either. So I think there are a lot of ways that, that PSG would attack this Bayern team and their defence. In a much better way than anybody has done this season in in 
in the Bundesliga or in Europe, I think. Uh, so you don't, I don't think you need to adapt too much on that. What I would do, though, if you look at this Bayern attack, it's a great attack, but it's only a great attack if they've got a lot of space to run into. If they don't have any space, they can't dribble. Neither of them can dribble. Lewandowski can dribble. Müller can dribble. I think Nabri is the best one, and he's only like one dribble per game or 1.2 successful dribble per game, which at that level is ridiculous. Coman would be the only one, but I, I'm not sure he will start. So if you don't give them any any space to run into, and that front four of Perisic, Lewandowski, Müller and Nabri, who we saw so devastating against Lyon and, and Barcelona, it's only because they have a lot of space to run into and they, they work so well together, they run so well together, they're so intelligent in the way they play. But if there's no space, they can't dribble past you. They, I think you would take, again, a lot of things away from that very, very dangerous attack. So if PSG, I think, sit a little, at the beginning for sure, sit a little bit and, and play on the counter, which they can do, we've seen them doing it, I think they will be so dangerous. And again, they will, they will nullify, I think, a lot of what, Bas, of what Bayern can do. Um, so 4-3-3 for me all the time. Play maybe a bit deeper than you usually do against team where you are the favourite. And, and, and explore the high line that they have because I think that's where, they, again, the key would be. And I think Paradise would be great at that. I think I would start Variety and, 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 and like what the boys have just said, even if you get 60 minutes out of him, I think even if he's not 100%, you would gain so much in his technical ability compared to Herrera, for example, who is a great guy and runs a lot. But he's not, he's, he's half the footballer that Variety is on the ball. So I would take the risk and play Marquinhos, Variety, and Paredes in midfield with the front three and Icardi on the bench. Yeah. Um, and actually, one of the things that we haven't talked a lot about um, concerning PSG recently is, is their defense, which has been solid since the restart. I mean, they've only conceded one goal in their four matches since returning to competition. And, you know, maybe with the exception of, of 10 minutes here or there where things are a little bit more shaky, maybe, you know, the start of the match against Saint-Étienne or, or that little period of time in which Atalanta scored, um, they have looked quite impressive. Uh, and, and do you guys think that, you know, um, they, will, they will be up to it against... Bayern Munich, who, uh, I mean, it should be said that Gnabry and Lewandowski, the two of them, have scored one more goal than PSG entire the entire of PSG have in this Champions League campaign, which is a frightening stat, but yeah, I, a little misleading. I, I just wanted to to um, give notice to personnel Kempembe here. Mm -hmm. I think that if if we look back at him even earlier this season, for me, I had a lot of questions about succession in PSG's central defense. Um, I think that I was frequently thinking that uh, Kimpembe is a little bit too error-prone. His position is not great. He's a player who relies too much on his physical gifts. Um, but I don't think that accusation can be leveled to him since the restart. And I think that's been true in both in the, the Cup Finals and, and in Lisbon. Uh, and I think it, it, that's a, that shows a really impressive uh, level of maturity. It seems like he's taking the next step forward in his game, whether that's a product of an extended period of time off and working on his positioning. But I think that we're, we're seeing a player who's been able to take the step up. And I think that, that his position is much less of a worry than it had been. And given, you know, how, how easily uh, Gnabry cut inside and, and made life difficult um, for the left side of Leon's defense the other night, uh, I think that that might have been a concern if, if, if one had seen this match run up on paper six weeks ago. But I think in the time since, Kimpembe has really made a leap forward. And I think that this is far less of a concern, especially playing a 4-3-3. I think that, you know, that 
if that is the tactical lineup that Tuchel decides to use on come Sunday, then I think that there'll be a little bit more protection for him, and I think that the things will be um, things will be that will be less of a worry for PSG than it might have been um, previously in the season. I still think that he should have done a little bit better on the Atalanta goal, but otherwise, I, I entirely agree. I think he's. He's been excellent. I had all, exactly the same doubts, but I think he's been he's been so solid in this um, mini tournament so far. For me, the the concern, I guess, is is Kera, who maybe is slightly the weaker link of the of the of the four at the back, and is another reason I think why possibly Bayern might consider um, bringing in Komen in front and ahead of Perisic for for the dribbling ability, as Junia said. But also, I think um, he could sort of really really give Kera a bit of a torrid time. But then I thought Bayern would do that against Lyon as well, because for me, Dubois was also kind of showing signs of frailty, but that they stuck with Perisic and the, the work rate. And obviously, um, uh, he, he's had a really good mini tournament as well, a couple of, couple of important goals. So, uh, you know, that's the problem with Bayern. They've got so much strength and depth and... Um, if it's not working out with Perisic, they can bring Komen on. So Kera is not going to get any kind of respite or match. Um, but again, as, as as Julian said, I think PSG would probably be well advised to to sit back to an extent. Um, Bernat, who's obviously got got something to prove against against his former team, um, I think he seems to be a revelation in Champions League, even popping up with important goals and and. Um, sort of always raising his game for the, for those big matches. I think, like I expect the back four to be pretty solid. Um, Marquinhos maybe sort of dropping back to to support Kera a little more than um, than he would do obviously in in league scenarios. But um, I, yeah, I'm a lot more confident about the about the defence than than I would have been sort of yeah even before the Atalanta match. I think um, about Marquinhos who scored. The first goal against Atalanta and the first goal against uh, Leipzig. Uh, Julien, do you think that he is a little bit of like a defensive Cavani in that he's unquestionably an incredibly good player, but who maybe doesn't get the same recognition in terms of, you know, people don't spend as much time talking about Marquinhos as some of the other players in the PSG squad, even though he's, he looks like an absolutely key player to them. Yeah, I don't know if if we can compare with with Cavani, but I just think I don't know. I, I if for the people who don't rate him, they can't have watched him play. It's impossible. I mean, even in the holding midfielder role, it's I just think it's incredible. Considering this is not it's something that was new to him eighteen months ago or something to have adapted so well. I mean, he's clearly a very intelligent player and a very intelligent guy, but in a position where you can't you can't really be you can't hide really there's there's nowhere to hide in that position as center back i guess you always have another center back next to you if you play in a 4-3-3 and you're the holding player you can't you can't really hide and i think i don't think that's really that was really his his character before and for him to have been able to play there i i think every time they've played in a 4-3-3 formation with marquinhos as a holding midfielder they've never lost and and I think he tells you one how then balanced your team becomes, how solid he becomes, and of course it's a small sample and and it depends who you played against. I get that, but still, I think he gives you an indication still about the kind of work and job that Marquinhos is doing there. I just I just I just love him, and I, I 
I think he's still better as a centre back, and I think he he will become. He's still so young, and he will become one of the top top centre backs in in Europe if he goes back there one day. I just yeah, I just think that people who maybe underrate him or don't rate him enough. I'm, I'm not sure if they really watched him because I think he's. I, ju- I really think he's fantastic. Yeah, he's only. You say he's so young. He's only 26 indeed, which is you know yeah. still got years and years ahead of him. Um, and it feels like he's been around forever. Uh, but but yeah, definitely a, an increasingly important role. Um, guys, let's let's talk about uh, PSG's attack. And I think we've rightly singled out Bayern's high line as a possible weakness that that PSG are very susceptible to to exploit. Um, but there is one question uh, which, uh, you know, surrounding the way PSG attack right now, and it has to do with Neymar, who has not yet scored since the return of competition and has had uh, several misses. How come, guys, he's he hasn't been able to tuck those in yet? I'm not sure there's anything too much to worry about there. It happens. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you could say possibly it's down to nerves and and snatching at shots but you know everything else about Neymar's game at the moment he's he's really purring so um I I don't think there's any concerns I mean even look at Lewandowski he okay Gnabry scored the scored from the rebound but that was actually a pretty bad miss by Lewandowski he missed a couple of easy chances against Barcelona as well. And I think he's done that a few times over the season. But, you know, he's got the confidence and obviously the ability and obviously the service as well to, to keep bouncing back. I think it's the same with Neymar. Uh, it's only a matter of time before he does score. Even if he doesn't, if he keeps sort of, um, you know, laying chances on a plate for, for his teammates, like like he did obviously for, in a brilliant way for Di Maria the other day. Um, I know that he's, he's obviously a... a an attacking player and a brilliant goal scorer, but certainly with with players like Mbappe and Di Maria around him who who share the workload in terms of assists and goals, I don't think it's a, a huge issue that, that he's not putting them away. But um, you know, he's a he's a huge game player. He's got the chance to become, I think, only the third player to score in Champions League finals for two different teams. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's sort of saving all his goals for Sunday night. I would agree with that too because it feels like it is getting a little bit closer every time. I mean, against Leipzig, he hit the post twice, right? So it can't really get any closer than that, and it feels like it's um, the trend wants him. The trend wants there to be a goal from Neymar on 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 Sunday. Um, let's also talk quickly about Kylian Mbappe, who uh, you know we talk a lot about. We've talked a lot about Neymar and, and the contributions that he's been bringing recently, and the fact that. He has that experience of winning the Champions League as well. Uh, that is one thing that Mbappe has not done yet. But if he does do it on Sunday, <laughs> what is there left for him to do in football? He's done everything, no? I think he would have completed the game. I mean, you're 21 and you've won the World Cup, the Champions League, four league titles in a row, four domestic cups or something like that. And you'll have the Euros that you can, you can even probably win in, in 10 months and then that's it. That's, this is over. This is finished. He's completed it. He's broken. He's broken football. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I Rio Ferdinand was saying the other night on on BT Sport about how he reminds him of Ronaldo. I mean, the, the Brazilian Ronaldo. I just, I just don't know. I've, I've never even Ronaldo at 21. I'm sorry, it was not. It was not that the maturity wasn't there like like Mbappe has. 
the 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 drive and the ambition i think and and i, I don't know i'm just amazed more and more i've i followed him since he was 16 uh and he just never stops amazing me it's incredible and i think i don't know if nerves but I, I don't think nerves ever gets to him i don't i don't think pressure gets to him he was certainly not impressed before the world cup final or before the world cup semi final uh, he was certainly not impressed before the semi-final of the Champions League, albeit against like Leipzig. But still, I just, I just don't know. I don't know what can phase him. I don't know if he can. I don't know if he can overplay. I don't know if if he's got that in him. I, maybe he's going to try too hard in the final if things are not working out his way or PSG's way. I don't know if he can overplay stuff. Um, but pff, it would just be, it would just be even more. An even more incredible story if he was to win on Sunday, and again I think for him to do it with PSG and to take PSG there, which is you know his home club and his hometown, and and the way he joined the club when when Monaco wanted to almost force him to go to Real Madrid with whom they already had an agreement. I don't know. It would just be an inc- really an incredible three years where he had doubts about this project. Probably wanted to leave before um, and and then stayed and then could inspire this team, him and Neymar, really to to get to the top. It would just be incredible, I think. Yeah, I think you've said it all, basically. Um, let's move on then to our predictions uh, for, for this match before we, we close up on the Champions League preview. Uh, Eric, why don't you get us started? Give us your score prediction for, for this game. I think uh, 2-2 and PSG to win on penalties. Ooh, I, I you can't do that to me. I would, my heart wouldn't take it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would die right before the penalties. Oh, boy. Um, all right, so Julian, what, what's your prediction then? I mean, my heart says, of course, as a PSG fan, I've been waiting for this for long enough. So, I, you know, PSG to, to win this, I think they... I, they could be a very, very balanced, solid team with two genius players up front that are almost hard to stop. You know, there's there's a way of you seeing this final and you say, okay, Bayern are great and Lewandowski is great, and but you could see more weaknesses to this Bayern team than to the PSG team, and, and you could see PSG winning it. That's my that's my heart talking for a two-one win for PSG and and quite quite a controlled, comfortable win, so I don't have to suffer too much and stress out too much. <laughs> Uh, the brain says that it's really 50-50, maybe 55-45 for Bayern because they've got more experience, because they've got that German mentality. And and you saw it, you saw the two striking images, I'm sure, after the, the wins in the semi-final where PSG celebrated like almost they won already. Um, and Bayern were like, okay, this is, this is just a semi-final, let's move on to the final now. And there was no singing, there was no dancing, there was no... Euphoria. There was nothing on Bayern's side. They were just they sat on the bench, probably already talking about what went wrong in that semi-final, what they could have done better, and they're already looking forward to the final. So there's a few reasons why this happened, and I think it had Bayern have, you know, four, five Brazilian players. That's what they do. They sing and they shout and they dance. And I don't think Leon Goretzka has ever danced in his life. Certainly not. <laughs> You know, shouting or singing. <laughs> and I, you know, I just think it's a different culture and two different mentalities. More than one being happy to be in the final and and the other one just thinking this is a job done. So, but but I think they still have that sort of mentality, that winning mentality. This is a club with with European success in the DNA, 
that you transmit to your players generation after generation. It's, it's a very different mentality again. So, yeah, the brains will say Bayern 2-1, and I just hope that the heart beats the brains. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, what do you think of that? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with both other guys. I mean, I, I do think Bayern start as favourites. I think they're a stronger team all round. And, and, you know, certainly since Hansi Flick came in, they've just been awesome. And, and um, you struggle to see where the weaknesses are. But the the one sort of maybe obvious weakness in terms of that that high line is plays exactly into, into PSG's wheelhouse. And... Um, I just maybe again it maybe it is heart overhead, but I just I do think that PSG have the capability to win it. I have I think that although maybe you know I agree with the fact that PSG is certainly playing more as a team and and as a as one sort of unit with one heart more than they ever have done before. Um, mm. I still think Bayern are the better team, but I think that PSG have got. In Mbappe and Neymar, two such geniuses who both seem so close to the top of their form that I think that they'll both be able to do something special. And it's not good for Julien's heart, but I'm going close to Eric. I was thinking two all at full time and three two to PSG after extra time. Ooh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I like. I think you all got you all raise some very good points, and I will say that. Uh, even though that high line is going to play into PSG's hands, I, well, I expect a kind of wild and, and nervous match. So several goals. I'm going to go with 3-2 for Bayern uh, because I agree with what's in Julien's brain. Um, <laughs> even though PSG have a chance, I'm, not, I'm absolutely not ruling them out. I think uh, I'm scared of the team that doesn't celebrate reaching a, a Champions League final. Uh, yeah, a Champions League final. Um, they are cold-blooded killers, <laughs> these guys. And, uh, well, yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be anything new to lose against Bayern Munich, to be honest. Um, and that's part of the reason, too. So, uh, there we go. But uh, we'll see you guys. I mean, we'll do another show after the match, of course, where we can... Uh, come back on these predictions and come back on, more importantly, what actually happens. All right, so Champions League is not the only uh, football involving French teams this weekend. It's the return of Ligue 1 after months and months of waiting without league action back in France. Um, but already things are looking a little bit chaotic. Uh, there's three games postponed this weekend now. Uh, two of them, uh, it makes sense because it's uh, the Lyon and, and PSG matches have been... Uh, uh, postponed to mid-September because of their participation in Champions League uh, this weekend or as late as on Wednesday in Lyon's case. Uh, one match has been cancelled for COVID-related reasons. That is Marseille-Saint-Étienne with five uh, Marseille first-team players testing positive in the last few days. That was supposed to be today on Friday, uh, but it will also be in, held in September instead. And uh, guys, there's now eight Ligue 1 clubs with active cases in the first team. Uh, that is, those clubs are Nantes, Nîmes, Nice, Angers, Montpellier, Lens, and Monaco. Uh, do we have any idea how it is possible that, you know, so many clubs have, have had these cases um, 
and and you know what kind of threat is this going to pose to Ligue 1 action not necessarily just this weekend but in the next few weeks at the very least I think um obviously you look at France in general and and there's been a spike recently there was a um a big rise in the number of cases yesterday for example and and so I guess it's something that all well obviously <laughs> From, from every level, from government to education to, to sports or whatever, I think you know across the world there's an element of sort of winging it. No one knows exactly um, what's around the corner, and um, I think it's it's you know applies to football as much as anything else. And there's been debates all summer about whether France did the right thing to to end the season so early. Um, you know, the fact that other other leagues came back and you know nothing major happened some people saw that as as saying that france france made a mistake I, i'm not sure they did and certainly champions league wise i think that the decision was vindicated um but it just i mean maybe it's a case of bad timing that france uh, league is coming back at exactly the same time that there's a spike maybe it's just simply the fact that that you know, big groups of, of people coming back from having holidayed all over the place, coming back together. It's inevitable that, you know, just the odd case here or there is, is going to quickly spread. But um, I think what's most important is, is how it's dealt with and, and obviously hoping, hope, hopefully keeping numbers down so that the, the footballing schedule isn't, isn't disrupted too much. And um, I think a lot of Taking a cynical view, I think possibly one of the reasons for France to finish the season early was it sort of worked out well in terms of the end of some TV contracts and the beginning of new TV contracts this season. So I think that's kind of another incentive to to make sure that um, all the authorities work together, which they didn't necessarily do brilliantly um, before the break, to, to make sure that everything moves as, as smoothly as possible now. Is it fair to expect of, of footballers or, you know, other people in, in football clubs to have a higher standard of precaution or, 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 or just caution maybe um, because of this fact that, you know, if there's three members of the club, uh, if there's more than three members uh, with a positive result, then the game gets called off. And, and really, for, because of that, one of the key kind of factors in the foreseeable future for a football team's performance is going to be limiting the number of players who who miss time because of this. Well, I think really what it boils down to, I mean, is these players, you know, are, are making their living based on, at, at the end of the day, presenting a product for both a live audience and a television audience. And if their behavior is something which compromises that product being presented in the way that it ought to be, you know, whether that's if it, whether that's having five thousand fans in the stadium or playing behind closed doors or playing neutral grounds, however that shakes out. However, we've mm -hmm. seen that across various competitions uh, in Europe. I think that if those players are being derelict in their responsibilities. Then I think that that's going to hint that obviously is going to hinder that. So you know, football careers are short; they're fleeting. And I think that these players have to realize that. You know, from a, from a global sense, there are millions of people who've lost their jobs as a result of this pandemic, and they are lucky enough to still have them, and they should accept the responsibility that they need to approach their their day to day lives with 
more caution than they ordinarily would mm-hmm. would have in order to to stay stay in a job and to to continue to offer the, to to do their job the way that um, it can be to the best po- I mean, possible level. Obviously, there's mitigating circumstances with fans, but um, yeah, it's. I think also I would say that perhaps you know there there is maybe a period of adjustment. Um, I know here in the United States with baseball there was a lot of problems when the season first started, but things seem to have gotten um, back into a more normalized relationship uh, in terms of cases. Not not normalized, obviously, but it's it's uh, been less of an issue more recently. So at the start of the season, um, there were at least three teams which uh, who had to have matches canceled. Uh, postponed, moved, um, player, lots of players quarantined. Um, but that's not been the case in recent weeks. So the hope here is that, you know, this can serve as a wake-up call and there are no long-lasting ill effects for any of the players or any of their loved ones and that things can proceed as as, as best they can going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, Julien, how do you, you know, how would you compare... The situation to what's happened in other European leagues, possibly. Yeah, I just think that from the moment those, those players went away on holidays before going back to preseason, this was always going to happen. Whether they stayed in France, I don't know. I don't know what all of them did, but whether you stayed in France or you went abroad somewhere, I don't know, Greece or Spain or wherever, wherever they want to go. I still think there was a risk, a bigger risk. Than if we'd stayed in a very strict lockdown confinement kind of condition, so I think that was inevitable. I think they, the league was prepared for it. Maybe that's why their their protocol in Ligue 1 is far more stricter than in any other leagues before that that restarted back in June. Um, and and I guess that, that now all those kind of things have to to come with with football and with Ligue 1. So Christophe Galtier being quite unhappy with everything that was going on, he certainly doesn't think that if you've got more than three positive cases, you should postpone your game. It's like if you have injured players, you don't you don't postpone a game if, if you've got three players who have a, an ankle strain or something like that. You put those players in self-isolation and then you still play with what you've got left. So maybe he's got a point. I, I don't know. I just think that it's such a congested season in the fixture list that there would be a point where if you keep postponing games, there would be a big problem because you won't be able to play those games. Yeah, and I think um, there's definitely something to be said for about uh, managers or club presidents who wish the protocol was a little less strict because I, I'm not sure if that's necessarily uh, prudent. I mean, I've, some people have, have you know, used the argument that, oh, because these are young men, uh, they're healthier and they're less at risk from the virus. I mean, we know some young people can still fall quite sick from it. And also, um, there was an interesting article in in L'Equipe, which I thought I would share with you guys, which was actually over in, in the rugby section, uh, which, uh, you know, may be foreign to some of us. It usually is to me, to be honest. Uh, but they were saying that in, in the rugby club Stade Francais, where there were a lot of, of COVID cases, what they noticed was that even some of the players who had very mild symptoms, um, you know, were, didn't feel particularly bad. Upon inspection, they actually did suffer from some kind of uh, lung damage, which which uh, uh, reduced their, their capacity and, and meant that they had to rest for extra time, uh, not just the, you know, the quarantine of, of two weeks, but, uh, you know, maybe take another week or two longer just to fully recover 
even though they didn't necessarily feel the impact of the virus um, consciously anyways. Um, so yeah, that's going to be one of the parameters this season. Uh, and and I mean, let's hope it improves the way the clubs handle this. Uh, let's hope that improves in, in the next couple of weeks as they kind of get used to the protocol and, and back in the routine of, of Ligue 1, I suppose. Um, finally, before we close this show for today, uh, I want to ask each of you about uh, what are you looking forward to this weekend in Ligue 1? Maybe it's, maybe it's a specific match. Maybe it's being able to watch uh, a certain player once again. Uh, so why don't we start with, with you, Eric? What, what are you uh, looking forward to with the return of Ligue 1 this weekend? Yeah, I think that uh, Monaco versus Reims is the match that I'm most looking forward to. Uh, it's the early match on Sunday, I believe. Um, you know, obviously, this is the, the unstoppable force versus the immovable object. We know uh, Reims' <laughs> uh, uh, defensive prowess last season, and obviously they've lost Axel de Sassi to Monaco. But, uh, you know, I don't have any doubt uh, David Guillaume's been able to uh, deal with having to replace players without much of a problem since he's been since he's had the side back in Liga, but also uh, to see uh, Niko Kovac. Uh, I think that there's a, really a lot of potential with the pressing style that he's installed at Monaco. They've looked really sharp in their last two se- preseason friendlies, and I think that I think this team can be back up among um, pushing for the top three. I have I have a little bit of question, you know, beyond Ben Yedder leading the line, but um, he's got the pace and the likes of Henry Onyekuru and Justin Martins to make to make. Uh, that front three a real nightmare for for opposing defenses so um it'll be a good test for both of these sides uh, to start the season i'm i think i'm looking forward to to seeing nice play i think that they're they're sort of the next kind of inverted commas project team in league A with um you know, jim ratcliffe's Ineos money and and uh, obviously it doesn't affect anything that happens on the pitch but they they released some some snazzy kits yesterday as well um, I think they've had a, a, a good transfer window, bringing in some, some talented players and a nice sort of blend of of old and young. And um, I think last year it was kind of patchy. They didn't start. I think they, they had three wins in the first four, but then um, went on a pretty bad run. And at one point, you know, there were even rumours that, that Vieira's job was at risk. But um, by hook or by crook, he, he somehow got them into Europe in the end. But I think everyone's going to be looking... Um, or expecting them to to really push on this year with the, with the, the money they've got the the players they've brought in um we know that that french clubs sometimes struggle to to kind of juggle league at and and europe at the same time so that will be another test for for Vieira and his players but i'm really intrigued to to see what he and they can do this year and they start i think with a home match against Lens. so um seeing as i'm still bitter about the the way the 98 97, 98 title race finished. <laughs> I'm hoping that Nice start with a huge win. Very petty, but I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Julien, is is there anything that, that that can get you excited this weekend apart from, of course, PSG? Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that the um, some of the exciting signings that we've seen some of the clubs make uh, this summer. We'll play. I don't know exactly. I've been so engrossed in the Champions League, to be fair. I don't know exactly if everybody's fit. If it, if Jonathan David, for example, we start for Lille. I, I really mm-hmm. hope so because he's a he's a fantastic player. If Seko Fofana, we start for Lens because I think I don't know how they pulled this one out, but really, really well done to 
to all the team in Lens to to sign someone like him. I think it's a, this is a great signing. I want to see Disassi at Monaco. I want to see, I agree with, with Jeremy, uh, I want to see Nice and, and Vieira, who I think, by the way, is under big, big pressure. And I wouldn't be surprised if they don't start well this season, if if Ratcliffe could could um, could get rid of him very quickly. I, I really hope not, but I want to see Gasset at Bordeaux as well and what he can do with, with a squad that, it's actually not very good. Uh, yeah, I think there's there's really there's really great stories, um, you know, everywhere. I want to see Lorient coming back up and 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 Grubich and and all the again quite clever signings I think they made this summer so far. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really I'm really excited. It's a shame that we don't have, you know, the the three biggest teams not playing, which is a shame. Mm. But but I think it's still. But I, I think potentially. This could be a very, very sexy, interesting season. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think you guys have basically covered it all for this weekend, except maybe uh, Dijon-Angers. I don't know why no one's excited about that one. But uh, <laughs> uh, what I'm going to do is point out some other stuff, because it's not just PSG in the Champions League final, and it's not just Ligue 1 this weekend. There's a lot of stuff going on, actually. Uh, we've got two team Two teams in the Women's Champions League, which starts again on, on Saturday evening. Lyon uh, play Bayern Munich. It's a, it's a rematch of the men's semifinals. And uh, PSG play Arsenal. That's happening in Spain. It's the quarterfinals. Um, and also, I just want to say that tonight, on Friday, that is, uh, a team which is sort of my local team, uh, Annecy, are back in third division for the first time in 27 years. And uh, uh, they are actually playing, uh, it's a home match, but they don't get to play in their home stadium, which used to be the stadium for Evian Tonon Gaillard, uh, because that stadium is, uh, the roof is threatening to collapse. Uh, so they are in exile in a nearby town, uh, unfortunately for them. But I'll be excited to follow them in third division this season. Uh, right then, that's everything from us uh, for this preview show. It's going to be a busy weekend, of course, and uh, more to come next week, however, with the uh, return on that Champions League final and, uh, and our preview for Ligue 1, which we will get into more extensively uh, in the next week on the GFFN show. Thank you, Julien, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. And thanks, Eric. Thanks, Jeremy. Cheers. As always, for the latest football news from France, you can follow GFFN on Twitter at GFFN and check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. Thank you for listening.